0: Well, if you haven't already, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes. That's why we're here, is to worship God. In worshiping God, we have the most powerful thing is that we get to hear from God, not my lips, but from God's Word. That's been breathed out for us. To have a high view of God, we really have to have a high view of Scripture. And so, therefore, we are up here standing here, I'm standing here, just under the weight of God's Word, and we are here to hear from Him. And so as the Holy Spirit encourages you this morning, I pray that as we read God's Word that the Holy Spirit will do the work that I can't do as He brings important things as He speaks to you from His Word this morning. As we talk about this meaning found in divine timing, God's sovereignty, His preeminence—it was a beautiful thing to hear from uh, Lyle as he shared uh, from his heart from Psalm one thirty-five, and looking at why do the call to praise God, to worship Him, because of His preeminence, because of His sovereignty, because of the character of who God is—that it's about God's work and not man's work. That God is sovereign. He is over all things and above all things. And so it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and so let's go to God, ask Him to bless and to use His words as we read it and then we expound upon it. Lord, we thank You for the power of Your Word. And as Your Word breathed out to us. And Lord, it is not so much important about what I say, but it's important about what you say. Help me to make that clear and that your spirit would clean up the rest, that we might enjoy your word this morning. Bless it, I pray, as we read it. May we be encouraged and corrected, mended, and lifted up to be equipped for every good work as we face the trials, may we not be discouraged, but encouraged, knowing that as we persevere, that you will use your word to mend, to prepare us for everything that we face and are about to face. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are above all things, not only above all things, but in all things and through all things. So, Lord, we give you praise as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and our text is found in verses 9 through 11 this morning, but for the sake of context, we will start in the last verse of chapter 2 and keep reading into our text. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after win. For everything there is a season and a time... For every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather together, and a time to embrace. A time to refrain and a time from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear, a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, He has put enmity, or eternity—I'm sorry—into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In our text in verse 9, we see that for everything God has put together, whether it's in the seasons of times, a group of time, or specific time, God has made everything beautiful in His time. The emphasis on His. But what's amazing, if you remember the fact that we've already seen that Solomon has already asked this poignant question is there purpose in life? In verse 9, he says, What gain has the worker from his to- toil? And in its sense, he's, Solomon is saying, Are you listening? Did you hear the question before? Can you answer the question? And that is the, this question is this. Is there a purpose for life? And the clicker is still... There we go. (laughs) Thank you, Leah. Is there a purpose for life? As he asks this question, in verse 9 and verse 10, we see two things. That none of life is truly profitable. None of life is truly profitable and all of life is a task. He says... What gain is there for a worker in all his toil? And I've seen all the busyness that God has given to all the children of man to be busy with. All of it is a task. So what is the purpose of it all? It's really the question that is before us. And the answer is found in verse 11. Well, let me tell you that there is a purpose. Everything, there is a season, right? Verse 1. Chapter three, and there's a time and a purpose under heaven for everything. There's a purpose behind it all. There's a joy and there's a sorrow. There's mourning. There's laughter. But there's a deep and abiding purpose. In fact, there's three that are really focused in verse eleven. And the the overarching point of all of this purpose in life is this. God is the one who is needed for the timing of things in life to make sense. God is the one that's needed to make sense of all time. So God answers this question in three ways. And the first one is found in this, that God is making all things beautiful in his time. God is making all things beautiful in time. And for, that's exactly what he says in the first part of verse 11. What's amazing about this statement, and you can't really see it in just the plain English, but some of you in science may understand that God, you've heard of uh, time, and there's an atemporal time, and there's a temporal time. Atemporal is an unaffected uh, thing that is uh, unaffected by time, it's timeless, it's permanent, and it's unchanging. And one of the things by this statement that we see from God in verse 11 is this, that he is atemporal, that he is unchanging, he is above time, and that's what we were seeing in the character of God that, that Lyle brought out beautifully for us in Psalm 135, God is atemporal. He's unaffected by time. He is above all things. When we read that God is above all things, he literally means he is atemporal. He is out of time. Time does not affect him. When we say that we are involved in time, that is to say that time is temporal or relating to being affected by time. We are affected by time. Some of us were affected by the time of snow this morning, right? Snow was coming down, and what's fun is watching my... We have a cow that likes to lick everything. What's fun is when it snows, he, she's out there going... Like trying to catch the snow, just like all of us kids, right? Uh, I admit, I like to go out there and see if I can catch the snow before it hits anything, right? <laughs> so here's the thing. We were affected by that. Sometimes it takes us a little longer. I love the snow, and I think partially just because it's different from all the rain that we get, right? But God is not affected by time the way we are. That's what makes literally this so beautiful, because God is above all things. God makes all things beautiful in his time. This is the way it is with God's plan, with God's vision. Because God not only can plan based on the fact that he is atemporal, that he is above it, not affected by it, but that he can see it all, right? With his ability to see, to make everything beautiful in his time, which means every little step, every little sorrow, every little tear, every little hurt, every joy, all goes into a bowl to bring about what is truly beautiful in the end. I don't know about you, but I love cookie dough. Do you like cookie dough? It is. I know Kelsey watches me like a hawk when she makes cookies because she'll scoop out the cookie dough and put it on. (laughs) My favorite thing to do is see how many of those little globs of dough that make it onto the cookie pan that I can swipe before it gets into the oven. I I think cookie dough is meant to be eaten before the oven. My favorite thing used to be is Anissa used to try to, you know, beep planned and prepared for every little thing she'd make cookie dough and she'd roll it into these perfect little rolls she'd lay them in the freezer like cordwood you know stacked it all in there and she'd have stacks of cookies ready to go you just cut them and stick them on the pan and cook them right well I would just wait till she goes to sleep and I would pull out the log <laughs> like a nice pepperoni stick and it's wonderful. It's been mixed. It's been prepared. You just don't need to cook it. <laughs> it's great, but every once in a while I'll go through it. I think that they finished mixing everything together and I'll swipe the dough only to find out that I got the cream of tartar or just the just the straight flour and I get it in my mouth. Where's the water? You know, I got to rinse my mouth out. You know, it brings a tear to my eye, (laughs) right? So here's the thing. God mixes the things of time of our life, good, bad, the ugly, and he makes it beautiful. Application, as we think about this, you are looking at sometimes some of the events of our life, whether it's COVID, whether it's politics, Heaven forbid you stare at politics. It's just, it's a whirlwind and storm waiting to happen. (laughs) The news, our culture, our town, businesses, life, for me, (laughs) animals. um, Whatever you're looking at, some event in your life right now, and you're asking, what is the purpose of all this? Whatever struggle you're thinking about, whatever comes to mind right now in your heart, And you don't get it. What Solomon is saying when he says, God is making all things beautiful in time, is that you're not supposed to always get it. Not supposed to eat the cookie dough, supposed to wait until it's given to me in a cookie. You're not supposed to get it when you're going through it. Too often we find ourselves on the human side of time, not realizing that and the understanding that God is at work. And you're on that side of the human side of time and you're thinking about what you feel and see right now and you have no ability to see or comprehend how this time can be beautiful. But what you can be encouraged by is that it is, that there is a purpose to it. God makes it beautiful in his time. Think about this. I was in Egypt, uh, traveling through Egypt, and our taxi driver, it's, that's a whole other story. It's a pretty, um, taxi drivers in Egypt, is, it's just a fun thing. I'll just leave it at that. But he said, oh, no, no, you gotta come see this. And he took us to a place where they're making tapestries. You know tapestries? If you've seen Indiana Jones, the third installment, you understand tapestries. Those beautiful rugs that sometimes they throw up on a wall. I I never got that. But then I realized, you know, castles are cold. (laughs) They need the tapestry. They need the, just like we need the blinds and the shade across the windows to keep the cold air out, right? To reflect the air back outside. But tapestries... And then he's going in and look at all these beautiful tapestries and all I could see was just this wool and yarn and it just looked, I was like, what in the world? Because I didn't know, I was a young 20-year-old, tapestries, what are tapestries? I come in, I was like, this is the ugliest looking rug I've ever seen. And he goes, oh no, 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 and these little kids that were there, because they were like 8, 9, 10-year-olds with their little fingers making all these tapestries and then what they did is they said, oh, no, 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 come here. And they took me into another room, and they turned over the tapestry and had the most beautiful-looking design. And I was like, it didn't look anything like it on the back. But on the front, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And I was like, how do they know what they're doing? Because they're not looking on the other side. They're just working on the, from the back To the front. And they're so skilled, the labor in which they put into it, it was so much skill. When you look at the backside, you just see the mess, the knots. But you turn it over and there's beautiful artwork. How about about the Grand Canyon? I got a chance to go to the Grand Canyon a couple of times in my life. And it was amazing to hike down and to hike up back then when hiking was a fun thing, right? But uh, not so much anymore. (laughs) But it was fun to go up and down, and I thought this was great to go up and down. But when you take the hike from the bottom to the top, you feel like you're going down and up and around. And sometimes it's hard to make sense of the direction and what you're really doing. I think life is really like that a lot of times. Because when you get to the top and you see the beauty that unfolds before you at the Grand Canyon, it makes sense why you had to travel the way you traveled. When you're up close to the hills and the trails, it doesn't make sense. You don't know really where you're going. And sometimes it's even hard to look up. And it looks ugly when you look up but when you look back at the path, it all makes sense. And that's the truth of it all. God is sovereign over everything. God will make everything, everything beautiful in his time. And that leads to the second purpose that God answers in verse 11, and that is simply that also he has put eternity into man's heart. And that is this, God is focusing you on your unchanging, this is something that's supposed to never change, this purpose, unmovable purpose for living, and that is the glory of God. You say, well, how do you get that out of this verse? And Well, that's to understand the Hebrew word for eternity. When the Hebrewism or the, the thought behind this and the idea behind that God has put eternity into man's heart, is that God has placed into every person's life an eternal perspective or a a sense of an eternal purpose, a desire, a longing for something more. Every one of us says that there is something more to our life than just this. I can't tell you how many times people come in and they're struggling with something and they say, there's just got to be more than this to my life. All of the events that God has placed in our life, all the joy, all the sorrow, all the mourning, all the laughter, all the planting, harvesting, all the living, all the dying, everything in between tells us that there is more to life than all of this. There must be something more, and that's the meaning behind this. And there is. The purpose to all of life is to glorify God. We long to be something, part of something greater and bigger and grander, and that is this: the glory of God. Are you looking towards the eternal perspective and purpose in all of events of life? Or are you looking at the temporal things? Are you looking at just the circumstances right now? Are your emotions driven by the circumstance? Are your feelings driven by things that you're thinking about, assuming? Or are you thinking about God's eternal purpose? The purpose that He put on your heart, and that is to glorify Him. Have you asked that question? What is your eternal purpose? Paul answers this beautifully in Philippians 1 when he says, For me to live is Christ. He summed up the purpose of life in this verse. For me to live is Christ. What is your eternal purpose? If you struggle with answering that or you're blinded by the things of this world, which the evil one does so well, he has he put together schemes to distract us from our eternal purpose, our eternal joy, that a relationship with God to glorify God. Paul says, for me, is that you? To live is Christ, and to die is great gain that 's in the text you You miss it in the English, but it is his purpose in life is whether he is living or whether he is dying. He gets to glorify God, he knows his purpose, he knows what brings him the greatest joy. This used to be taught to everyone the catechisms you, Look at all the catechisms going back, way back, into the early church, all the way into the Reformation, and then into even here in the United States, and the great revivals that we had under George Whitefield, or or many of the preachers of his day. And the catechism put it this way, the chief end of man is to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. When our goal is to glorify God, we enjoy Him forever. Are you enjoying God today? In the uncertain ebb and flow of life, in that river that bends here and there, that goes over these waterfalls. Maybe right now in your life, you're experiencing the waterfall. Maybe you're enjoying a gentle, just meandering of a stream in your life. That gentle flow. Or maybe, like my property at my house, you're enjoying the flood of water. <laughs> and you have the joy of saying, okay, God, what are you going to do with all of this? But can you say, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's what it means when God says, I also put eternity in man's heart. He put the eternal purpose of our life, that there is more to life than just what we experience here. It's our relationship with God. But he also has a third point, and that is this, that God wants us to trust him through all the events of our lives. No matter what you're experiencing, are you trusting God? He said, yet, in the end of verse 11, yet so that he, man, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so what is that? What is he saying? He's saying this. We need to understand that God is God. Simply this. And we are not. This is about God's work and not about our work. Have you thought about this? You cannot possibly understand all that God is doing in your life, nor is it your responsibility to understand all in which God is doing in your life. We simply need to trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust that's a great old song. I, you know, I love to see somebody rework that into, a, you know, a current way. I don't know, but it would be fun to rework that song and have fun with it. Because the truth is this: I simply just need to trust God. That's what we read in Romans chapter eleven, verse thirty-three, as we read about. God didn't want us to uh, be stuck in this mysterious thing. What is God doing? And he says, you know, yes, Israel was chosen. Yes, they disobeyed. Yes, their hearts have been hardened. Yes, that the gospel came out of Israel. Yes, he brought salvation to the rest of the world. And yes, he is going to come back and redeem Israel, his chosen people, just as he chose to save us. And to bring us life through Christ dying on the cross for our sin. To pay for our sin. To be that perfect go-between between God's wrath and our sin. And for us to deserve hell and Christ stepped in to bridge that. So we can have a relationship with God and to be partakers of his righteousness. Verse 33 of Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways we can't begin to fathom his ways for who has known the mind of god no one so how can why do we try to figure out everything and understand it it just gives more headaches who can be his counselor? Who's been his counselor? I love verse 36, "For from him and through him, and to him all are all things to him be glory forever." So often we want to be God's counselor. Has God ever needed a counselor? No. But yet we try to counsel God, God, if you just did this, life would be easier. <laughs> yeah, and then you'd fall over another waterfall because <laughs> we're human. He says, just trust me. Just trust me. We need to stop trying to figure out everything and just simply trust him. You know it's amazing when we stop and we submit to the Lord isn't it amazing how after the fact wisdom comes? Ah, oh, we have those aha moments. And we simply say, Thank you, Lord. When we submit and we trust Him, He is glorified. We get that sense of that if we've been we studied Habakkuk in Sunday school when we came back from all the lockdown stuff and And it's beautiful what God said to Habakkuk, the prophet, when he was struggling when he saw the sin of the people of Israel. And he says, God, don't you see the sin of your people? Aren't you going to do anything about it? And we read verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, and God said to Habakkuk, and he answers Habakkuk, which is amazing. I love it. Because it shows the personal relationship we have with God. as sometimes we just, in our understanding, we cry out to God and say, God, don't you see what's going on? And that's that personal relationship. God answers and he says, look among the nations and see. Get your head up and look at what's going on all around you. Wonder and be astounded, he said to Habakkuk. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. It's pretty amazing. And right now in your life, right now in the life of the church, right now in our community, right now in our nation, and right now in the world, if we look up and we start trusting God, we wouldn't Imagine, we couldn't even fathom what God truly is doing. We couldn't imagine, we couldn't understand the immensity and the brevity and the richness in which He is working. But we can trust. The conclusion is this. God has put a purpose in all the events of life, but without Him, without trusting Him, the events of life are meaningless and confusing. God is making all things beautiful in His time. Emphasis His. It's all about Him. God is focusing you on your unchanging an unmovable purpose for living, and that is to glorify Him. And how do we glorify Him? By doing what God simply wants, and that is trust Him. Do you see how simple that is? God asks us just to simply do the simplest of things so He can bless you with the unsearchable or unfathomable things. God simply just wants us to trust Him in the events of your life. We see in the conclusion simply this without God at the center of your life, for me to live as Christ, none of our life is profitable. Without God at the center of your life, all of life is just a task. Do you feel burdened by tasks? Are you feeling burdened at the task of work? The task of, maybe you're a student and you just are done with school. Well, maybe that's because you're not trusting God. How about the task of parenting? Oh, it hits me. <laughs> right? What task, what has become just a task in life serving God at church maybe it's just become a task in life because without God at the center of all things without simply just trusting him everything becomes meaningless repetition in just tasks is worshiping God by singing a task is worshiping God by praying Morning, day, and night, a task? Is reading God's word a task? For me to live as Christ, where is God? Are you focused on his eternal, unshakable, unmovable purpose for you? And lastly, just remember God is always sovereign. He is the King of kings, He is the Lord of lords he is god the holy one that is above all things he makes all things beautiful in his time no matter where you're at right now and you know what we see that in the cross when jesus said it was joy for him to endure the shame and the pain of the cross that he might bring salvation to his people, to adopt us into his family, to graft us into the vine of life. It was for that purpose. It was his joy. When it was all mixed together, he can finally offer us salvation from our sin to give us a true relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are out of time. You are above all time. You are so that way. You are in control of all things, above all things. And because of that, not only do you give us security and true meaning in life, true purpose to bring glory and honor to you. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. It doesn't, just give, it doesn't give us that temporal happiness that we have to keep earning. We have to keep finding and doing things to give us happiness, but you provide a deep sense of belonging and joy because of your eternal plan and your work. Thank you for being sovereign over us. Thank you for holding us fast holding us by the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Maybe there's someone here that everything has been about the task, about being a good person, by being a, a religious person, by, and they feel like they know God, but they don't have a relationship with God because they've never just truly laid their life down before God and said, Lord, it is not me It's all about your work. It's not my work. And they realize that God has never been sovereign, that God has never been the king of their life, the Lord of their life, that he has not been high and lifted up. And they would simply bow before the Lord this morning and give their life to Christ. That Christ, and realizing that Christ has paid us by dying on the cross and rising again and conquering death has paid the penalty for all of our wrongdoings, our imperfections, to restore us to a relationship with our Father in heaven. Oh, Lord, may your Spirit call out someone today and save them, whether they're listening, watching, or here today that they might just simply call out to you and be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, and that is Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for your timely work in all things in our life. May we simply trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.